the Sunday Sermons Podcast. Zion in the scriptures represents what Jesus called the kingdom of heaven. We'll explore that a lot more, but just real quick, let me remind you where you've been. If this is your first time here, you're so welcome. We're so thankful. We love all the rest of you that keep coming back as well, let me tell you. But, but I'm so thankful for everybody who's here and those that are joining us online as well. But where we've been the last several weeks is we've been looking at stories in the scriptures that happen on mountains. Not just for the sake of mountains, but because these were very significant stories. We just highlighted the fact that they happen on mountains because that's where they happen and they, they're important stories. So here's the thing, what we've been, some th- common threads have been, number one, the climbing of a mountain is not just the reaching the summit, it's the journey up, it's the journey down, it's what happens on the other side, how you're changed. That's the most important thing. Some other common themes that we've looked at over and over is that God actually gives us a chance to truly fundamentally start over. And that's a blessing that we sometimes underestimate. We don't, re- we don't really grasp how powerfully he can actually reshape us completely. Another common thread we've seen is that God always, his dream is always that we team up and that we work together. He doesn't want us to just do this thing alone, but he also has very specific goals for each one of us. And and we never reach God's full dreams unless every person plays their part. We've talked about committing 100%, whether Jesus is calling that being pure of heart, whatever way that that has been expressed, that is always what God asks is everything, absolutely everything. Where we ended up last week was that here we are, we are preparing the way for the Lord. We live in between Jesus's ascension and his coming return. And we have a very specific task. I hope this sounds really familiar, familiar to all of you, especially if you've been here the last couple of weeks, but we're ready to move on, I think. Are we good? Can we move on? All right, here we go. If you stood on the Mount of Olives and you looked out across Jerusalem, you would notice that it literally is a city on a hill. Jerusalem, in many ways, is Mount Zion. We'll talk about how it's a little confusing, and, but that's as simple as I can describe it. And at the center of modern Jerusalem is this structure with the gold roof there. It's called the Dome of the Rock. It's built on what's known as the Temple Mount, which in turn was built on and around Mount Moriah, which is one of the peaks on top of Mount Zion. Are you confused yet? Okay, there we go. But this is one of the most sacred spots on the planet to anybody who believes anything at all about the biblical story and Abraham and things like that. Muslims believe Muhammad had a major vision there. They also believe some of the stories about Abraham. The Jews call this place Har Habayit, which means the Mount of the House. It's uh, Malachi's term for the Mountain of the House of the Lord. Christians know that it's in the Bible, so we, we don't really make those treks as much, but when we do, we find it very meaningful. Trying to keep this as simple as possible, we could go forever on this because it's complicated. And if you think that the post-1948 history of Israel is complicated, it gets crazier the further back you go. 
In fact, it's for us to really understand, we've got to go way past what we now call Israel and Palestine, Jordan, Gaza. It's way before that. It's way before British colonization. It's way before the Crusades. It's way before Herod in the time of Jesus Christ himself. It's way before Ezra and Nehemiah rebuilt the temple after the exile to Babylon. It's way before King David established Israel as a kingdom there in Jerusalem. It goes all the way back before it was even called the promised land, officially, back to when Abraham was, God was making his covenant with Abraham. That's where the story starts. See, underneath the dome of the rock, there's this big rock called the foundation stone. The Jews and Muslims and a few other people believe some legends about it. But what we know for sure is this is where Abraham took Isaac. We're not sure he used that exact stone, but the Bible clearly tells us he went to Mount Moriah to sacrifice Isaac. And they usually did that kind of thing on rocks. So there's a chance that it was that rock. But this spot, we know for sure. Not only that, we also know that both temples that were built in Jerusalem were built and shaped around this spot was where the Holy of Holies went. It's a very special spot because of what it symbolizes. Let's talk about Mount Moriah for just a second. Can you imagine being Abraham? And if you haven't read this story ever or even recently, go back to Genesis 22. With an open mind, an open heart, a couple tissues nearby, especially if you're a dad. Read that story. But God tells Abraham to take his one and only son, who was about 30 years old at the time, and takes him to go and sacrifice him on Mount Moriah. In Hebrews, that story is actually referred to over and over throughout the scripture in Hebrews It retells it like this. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him. Again, we're not just looking at these stories to kind of learn some stuff or just have something to talk about for 30 minutes on a Sunday morning. The purpose is that our lives are changed. And this is what we need to know from Mount Moriah if our lives are going to be changed. Mount Moriah represents trust and sacrifice. Throughout the scriptures, there's no way to follow Jesus without those two things. We love that his grace is a free gift. We love that when we put our faith in Jesus, he gives us what we could never earn. But there is nowhere in the scripture, Old Testament or New Testament, where that's his only plan. Just grace, just forgiveness. He offers us free grace. He offers us justification. And he says, take up your cross daily and follow me. Every single time we see trust And sacrifice is part of the package. Mount Zion was the highest point in all Jerusalem. And it was also called the stronghold of Zion before David took it over. If you want to read that story, it's good too. It's in 2 Samuel chapter 5. David defeated the Jebusites and made Jerusalem his capital in that spot. And there's a weird thing that happened here because somehow, even though David took it over, 
he, he did not own the land in the very, very top, at the very top, he didn't own Mount Moriah. That belonged to another guy who was an, a Jebusite. The Bible calls him two names, Arana and Ornan. Sometimes it just has two names. Don't stress about that. That just happens sometimes. We have Simon, Peter, and Cephas. And Are you with me on this? Okay. Anyway, but 2 Samuel 24, 24, here's David coming to this guy to talk to him. You've probably heard this story. It's, it's kind of a scary one. God is um, punishing Israel. And David chooses from three options that God gives him to stop the death, stop the problems, and stop the judgment. And one is he's going to make an offering. And he knows this is a big deal. So he decides this is the moment to finally get back Mount Moriah. We need to own Mount Moriah. And instead of going and demanding it as a king or killing the guy who owned it, this is what he says. He wants to go and buy it. The king says to Arana, no, but I will buy it for you, from, from you for a price. I will not offer burnt offerings to the Lord my God that cost me nothing. And so David bought the threshing floor and the oxen for 50 shekels of silver. Over in First Chronicles 21, where it tells that version of the story, it, 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 he didn't just buy the threshing floor and the oxen for those silver. He also paid 600 gold shekels for the entire rest of the land. He bought all of it. Later, we read in Second Chronicles 3, Then Solomon began to build the house of the Lord in Jerusalem on Mount Moriah where the Lord had appeared to David, his father, at the place that David had appointed on the threshing floor of Ornan, the Jebusite. I wish I had time to go deeply into the image of threshing. I got so much out of this as I was studying, but there's so much more that's even more important. Let me just remind you, the idea of threshing, that's another symbol that threads its way through the scriptures. They would crush the grain and throw it up in the air. And it had to be a place where there was a lot of wind. And the heavy stuff, the good stuff, would fall back down. And all the chaff, all the dust, and just waste products would just blow away. And that's what this place was being used for. Probably that big rock was something they would crush all the grain on, throw it up in the air, as far as I can tell. But it was a threshing floor for this guy. David buys it at great personal cost and offers the sacrifice there. And again, Mount Moriah represents trust and sacrifice. And this is how it always is for us. If you really want to follow Jesus, there's the mountaintop moment where you give everything to him. There's the symbolic act of of baptism where you die to yourself and rise again to a new life. But, But thank God that's not literal. We don't actually kill people Expect God to resurrect him. It's a symbol. Is this, are you following? It's a symbol. And yet that, all, that symbol is there. It's right there. It's there every time. But if, if you have followed Jesus for even five minutes on the other side of giving your life to him for the first time, you're starting to understand already that it requires trust and sacrifice every single day. Mount Zion itself, the whole thing, represents the kingdom of heaven. 
Throughout the Psalms and the prophets and the New Testament even, Zion came to represent this idea, which the kingdom of heaven can mean so many things. And we're kind of cruising through that this morning. But hear me, I'm going to say it as clearly and as precisely as I can. It represents two things. The kingdom of heaven is wherever, number one, God is ultimately in control. We are submitting to God's ultimate authority. And the second part is very related to that. It's all the people who are submitting to God's authority. Whether that's Jerusalem, sometimes the verses that talk about Zion or the kingdom of heaven represents that. Sometimes it's the church. Sometimes it's your heart or my heart. Sometimes it's heaven. But wherever God is in authority and we are submitting to that authority fully, that's the kingdom of heaven. Here's a couple of examples, just a whirlwind tour through the scriptures. 1 Kings 19.31, For out of Jerusalem shall go a remnant, and out of Mount Zion a band of survivors. The zeal of the Lord will do this. Again, it's, it's representing the kingdom there, not just that mountain. Nobody actually lived at that spot. The survivors weren't hiding on that spot. That represents the whole thing. Psalm 9, 11, sing praises to the Lord who sits enthroned in Zion. Tell among the peoples his deeds. Psalm 21 to 2, may the Lord answer you in the day of trouble. May the name of the God of Jacob protect you. May he send you support from Zion. Psalm 48, 1 to 3, great is the Lord and greatly to be praised to the city of our God. His holy mountain, beautiful in elevation, is the joy of all the earth. Mount Zion in the far north, in the city of the great king. Within her citadels, God has made himself known as a fortress. Psalm 125, 1 and 2, those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion, which cannot be moved but abides forever. As the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds his people from this time forth and evermore. On the other side of the trust, on the other side of the sacrifice, there's this daily submission living. Paul ties that all together and calls it living your life as a living sacrifice. Does that sound familiar to anybody? We've said that literally every Sunday. The idea of living as a living sacrifice is where all those ideas get put together. But Jesus himself took it even deeper. That foundation stone is still so important to the Jews and uh, several other people as well because it was, it was so foundational, for lack of a better word. It was, it was foundational to their faith. Abraham did something big there. The temples were there. All of that stuff is there. But you see, Jesus, this is part of what he was telling the woman at the well when he said, there's going to come a day when it won't matter what mountain you worship on anymore. That's part of what he's telling you. That, that, that those, those are symbols that point to something else that's coming. And one of the things that the Jews believed is that the first thing God created was that foundation stone. And then he stood on the foundation stone to create everything else. But in the New Testament, we have this idea. John says, in the beginning was the word. And the word was with God. And he was God. In other words, it was Jesus. 
And then you see this beautiful stuff in Isaiah and many other places that say something like this. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, behold, I am the one who has laid as a foundation in Zion a stone, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation. Are you talking about that rock under the dome of the rock? He's talking about Jesus. Jesus is what everything is built on now. And Jesus, if you notice, he spent a lot of time talking about the kingdom of heaven. The very first thing he preached was repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. And so many of his stories begin like this. The kingdom of heaven is like... He spoke about the kingdom over and over. When we talked about the Sermon on the Mount, a big part of that was about what it looks like when we live under God's ultimate authority. When we trust God enough to live as a living sacrifice. We trust God enough that we actually give him everything. Whether we're standing on this mountain or that mountain, whether we're walking through this valley, about to drown, we trust him. We're there. That's the kingdom of heaven. John 12, 15. Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. We looked at that a lot last week. But again, one more way. Jesus himself fulfilled all of this stuff perfectly. So here's, what it, here's where it matters to us. This is what we do about all of these ideas. This is what it looks like. We live as living sacrifices. And what we do to do that is we build God's kingdom. But I'd like you to say just those words with me out loud. Did you say this? We live as living sacrifices. One of my professors at college, every time he'd read that verse, which was pretty often, was one of his favorites. He'd always say, the problem with li- Sorry, the problem with living sacrifices is they keep crawling off the altar. That's true, isn't it? It's really hard. But that's why we have to daily take up our cross and follow Jesus. We have to daily get back up on the altar. Daily make that choice. Look, I don't know how this is going to turn out, but I trust you more than I trust myself. I trust you more than any of the other possible answers out there. I'm terrified. I don't like this. This is not exactly how I would have made everything go. But I choose you, Jesus. I submit to you as my ultimate authority. And I'm going to do what you want me to do. Even if it costs me my life. Jesus is a perfect example of everything, and this is no exception. And it's really interesting. We've had all these stories about mountains. One thing that a lot of people don't notice because we have all these wonderful hymns, some of my favorites actually like on a hill far away and things like that, we always picture Calvary as a hill. And it may be, it may be, but the Bible never specifically says it's a hill. What it specifically says is it's a place outside of the city that people walk back and forth in front of as a place that somehow was the place of the skull. And all those words that confuse people, Golgotha, Calvary, and like, how many names does this place have? Those are actually just translations of that phrase, the place of the skull. 
Calvary is coming from how it's translated in Latin. Golgotha is how it's translated in Aramaic, the place of the skull. And, and actually, there's even a couple theories about what that means. Uh, my personal favorite, and if I'm wrong, I, I hope I learned that because I don't like being wrong. My personal favorite is that there's a place in Jerusalem just outside the gates next to the road where they often crucified people. We know this for sure. And the side of the mountain looks kind of like a skull. That's the most likely one to me. There's a couple other theories out there. But what we know for, for a fact, for a fact, because it's in the scriptures, is they took him outside the city to the place of the skull and they crucified him. And we know exactly what that was about. We know all about his suffering in the garden. We know about his suffering as he was beaten and he was mocked and he was crucified. We know about his resurrection. We know about what happened on the other side of that. We know all the details we need to know. Jesus ultimately fulfilled all of this stuff that had been in place all along. James chapter 1. Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? Don't panic. I know we're not saved by works. Keep reading. You see that faith was active along with his works and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness and he was called a friend of God. Again, this is exactly what I was talking about earlier. You're saved by faith, but the faith makes you do something. At camp, for years and years, the They don't have it now because the tree that the trapeze was anchored in died. So until we can find a safe way to do it, it's on hold. But there was this thing called the pamper pole. And I loved it and hated it. What what it was was a telephone pole with spikes both sides. You'd have to wear a harness that went way, way high in another tree. And there was a trapeze hanging from the other tree. Okay, But what you had to do was climb the telephone pole and then stand on the very top of a telephone pole, and then the, the <clears throat> trapeze was about eight feet away. So you just had to jump out and grab the trapeze. And if you missed, your harness would catch you. If you got it, you'd still have to let go and let the harness bring you down. Nobody ever got hurt on it. It was, it was good. It was fine. But it didn't feel that way when you're standing on there. That, that, that's why they call it the pamper pole, because the word pamper can mean shake. And let me tell you, you were always shaking like this. The other reason was because you might need pampers. <laughs> <laughs> but there's a moment, there's a moment that we all have over and over and over that feels like that, isn't there? When we come up in, what, what do we do next in this situation? What do we do next in this relationship? What do we do next... In this moral choice, what do we do next when I don't have the answer that I really want in this situation, but I've still got to choose whether I'm going to trust God or not. And, and it feels like that, doesn't it? It feels like I, I just don't even know. This doesn't, this doesn't feel safe because it's not. It's scary, but you trust, you trust the harness that is Jesus. You trust the, you trust it. 
And that's when you actually experience stuff. Again, we're saved by faith, not by works. And yet there's no way to express your faith other than by works. Is this making a connection? You, 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 you have to jump. If, if the people who saw that pole at camp year after year and said, oh, yeah, it's probably safe. They did not have faith. The people who had faith were the ones who climbed it and jumped no matter how terrified they were. Hebrews 12, but you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to innumerable angels in festal gathering and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of the righteous made perfect and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant and to sprinkle blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. So see to it that you do not refuse him who is speaking. For if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less will we escape if we reject him who warns from heaven. As scary as it was, that pamperpool thing was actually pretty simple. You climb, you stand, you jump. The only thing that made it complicated was how terrifying it is. And this is exactly how it is. The stuff that we've been going over and over the last several weeks, it's not rocket science. It's not super deep and complicated. It's not the first time you've ever heard it in your life, but it, it is how it works. And this is our prayer. This is our, what we're asking on for. This is what we're asking you for is that these things become our daily rhythms. And I'm talking about all the very simple things we've talked about that you have to make sure that you are personally right with God and in your daily rhythms, your daily practice of the spiritual disciplines like reading your Bible and praying and all the, all the other ways that we connect with God and serve others, that you're doing that personally. It's not a show that you're putting on. You're really living that way. And, and then you're also, as the Bible teaches us, you are also connecting with some other believers in a really tight way. You're in some sort of a small group, a, 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 a Sunday school class, a growth group, call it what you want. There are some believers that are doing life with you and holding you accountable and helping you grow and helping you learn and challenging you and, and encouraging you. And you're also committed to the bigger group, not just Morrison Hill, but the whole body of Christ. You're finding that unique spot that God gave you, that God created you to play. And you're playing with everybody else as best as you possibly can. If, if we all did this, we couldn't keep people away. Because all the counterfeit ways that the world offers us to find belonging and to find love and to find our purpose in life and to find acceptance and to find all the things that we want, they're all counterfeits of this. This is, this is, what, this is what it's there. And yet when we get here, we, we hold back and we hold on to all the counterfeits way too much. My prayer in this new year, and even over the course of the holidays, is that we all, every one of us takes at least one step, maybe two or three, toward this being, this is just how we live. This describes us. People can't tell, they don't even have to ask if we're Christians. They just know. 
Erwin McManus says, you have to choose between uniqueness and acceptance. And he's talking about acceptance by the rest of the world. You have to choose between uniqueness and acceptance. If you're addicted to affirmation, you'll become what others want you to be rather than who you were created to be. What we're praying for this whole congregation is that every single one of us, I'm not saying nobody's even taken any steps in that direction. I'm not saying you guys are all failing. You've never heard this. This is all brand new. I'm not saying that. I'm begging every one of you. I'm asking you to hold me accountable to take steps, measurable steps in that direction, to keep going down that. This defines us. This is who we are. This is what life is about. This is how we roll. This is what we do. This is who we are. And that's why we've been looking at these same scriptures every single one. Romans 12, 1 is Mount Moriah. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Romans 12, 2 is Mount Zion. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. We already know the big picture, right? God so loved the world, he gave his one and only son. So that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. That's the story we're telling with our lives. That's the story we tell here every single Sunday. It's the story we retell in homes and wherever else we meet in groups. It's the story we're telling wherever we meet with God individually. It's got to be the story we tell every place we work, every place we shop, every place we do whatever else we do. This is the story that we're telling. And the purpose, again, you know this, this just has to define us. It has to be the unmistakable Description. Oh, you mean the people at Morrison Hill? Oh, you mean Christians? Put your name in there. It's this. Go into all the world and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all the things that I have commanded. And I will be with you always to the end of the age. Would you take a moment before we stand, before we sing and write something down on that thing that says, Lord, I will put something tangible. Let me give you a couple ideas, but tune me out if you already have one, because I just want you to hear from the spirit. It might be in the direction of your personal walk with God. Maybe you're going to go, I'm going to read my Bible every day from now on. Or maybe it's, I'm going to try fasting this week. I've never tried that one yet. Let's, let's see how that, if that helps. Helps some people. I don't know, but a tangible one. Maybe it's going to go in the direction of a small group. You're going to go, you know what? I, I've only been kind of halfway committed to my Sunday school class, my, my growth group, whatever. I'm going to lock that in. That's going to, I'm going to build the rest of my schedule around that. Maybe you're not in one yet. 
Maybe God's been calling you to help us start a new one and bring some new people in. Take that step. Maybe it's something about how you're going to serve the community, how you're going to use your gifts to reach out and tell more people about Jesus. Invite them not just into our congregation, into our family, but into the family of God. And you've got a name. I'm going to talk to Bob. I want you to write down something really tangible. Man, if you guys will start playing, I'm going to stop talking. Give you just a second to write something down. And then I hope that you do something tangible. And if you need to make that public, make it public this morning.